Stage Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what's coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and this spring we will be speaking with some of the artists whose talents are standing out at a very busy time in a very busy Broadway season. Before our conversations with each week's guests, this season we're going to be kicking off every episode with a look at what's happening in Broadway news each week, and we'll be doing that with Broadway Direct's own Paul Art Smith, who is here with me now. Hi, Paul. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm okay. Amazing. So I thought we'd start off this week with the news of Ariana DeBose. She will be our Tony Awards host this year. We have been waiting for this news for a bit. And with the news of it moving up to the United Palace, I feel like there was speculation of it maybe like being someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda. But we got another Hamilton alum, Ariana DeBose, who is just, you know, continuing her streak, having hosted last year and being the talk of the town, I feel like, with her West Side Story performance. And now oh, she's yeah. also had her recent viral moment with the BAFTAs. I'm not sure if you have seen that. <laughs> I have. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think, you know, she's definitely, uh, it feels right, as you said, the setting, the fact that it is in Washington Heights. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure there are Hamilton fanatics who are thinking, hmm, what are they going to do special? Will there be a reunion, a mini reunion? Um, and she's sure. just a, a fabulous performer and just a great presence, you know, aside from singing a dance dancing, she's just got that sort of sparkle. You know, she could be reading the phone book and it would be entertaining. Um, So she's going to be, I would imagine, a a really fun host as she was last year. Exactly. And it's just so great to see someone who is just so embodies Broadway. I mean, she started off as like an ensemble player and has now just had this crazy rise to becoming an Academy Award winner. So to see someone like her at the center, is just incredible. Yeah, to show that stories like that still happen, you know, I mean, that's Broadway dreams and Hollywood dreams do come true. So uh, (laughs) it'll be fun to have her back, I'm anticipating. Definitely. It'll be another great ceremony. And also on this past week on Broadway, we've had two openings with Fat Ham Mm -hmm. opening last Wednesday and Camelot opening Thursday as well, which was the final musical revival, what I feel like is going to go down in history as one of the most packed revival seasons because with Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd, Parade, it's just been, you know, hit after hit with these musical revivals. And I do not envy the Tony voters this year. No, I don't either. I mean, I'd completely forgotten about Into the Woods because it was so early. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's a spectacular production of one of my favorite musicals. Um, you know, I mean, if uh, so many Sondheim musicals I love, but if you put a gun to my head, I I would probably have to choose between Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd, which was also <laughs> revived recently. And, exactly. uh, you know, I got, I got a lot of acclaim, as did Parade, of course. I mean, that production of Parade was was a revelation for me because that hasn't been a musical that I've really been drawn to. I mean, I've, I've sort of admired the story and, and was familiar with it. But for me, that production was just so fresh and felt so sadly timely and um mm-hmm. and uh you know i i suspect that all these these shows are going to be acknowledged at the tony awards for sure 100 percent. yeah i yeah. feel like parade was you know it didn't have a successful run the first time so it's so great to see it has such a great run around this time with amazing performances by ben platt and michaela diamond and also right. just having a commercial success as well it's just great to see broadway thrive right now yeah, and the whole production by Michael Arden was just visually riveting and and kind of devastating and mm-hmm. spectacular at the same time. Um, yes. And I, I had not seen the concert version in New York City Center 
which mm-hmm. I heard was also wonderful. But I believe the Broadway production, uh, they even um, they even buffed it up. And I know that uh, Dane Laffrey and Sven Ortel, it's just been determined, are going to be considered jointly eligible in the best scenic design of a musical mm-hmm. category. So um, and there's going to be a lot of competition in that category as oh, well. I am sure. Yeah. And we cannot wait to see how that plays out. And moving on to some long running news, Wicked just mm-hmm. played its another milestone performance this past week, becoming the fourth oh. longest running show on Broadway, surpassing Cats, which I feel like Cats is always thought of as like the long running musical. And now it's moved down to fifth place, which sounds like I'm like pushing it off, which is still an amazing accomplishment. But it's just wild to see Wicked up there now um, going into its 20th year. Oh, yeah. And so, so deserving. I'm I'm a little biased because I wrote a book about Pippin recently and Mm. Stephen Schwartz was incredibly generous with his time and his insights. And I'm just an enormous fan of his. He is probably my favorite sort of like rock inspired composer um, and lyricist, obviously. But I've seen that musical several times as my daughter has grown up. I saw it first before I became a mom, saw it again when my Mm. daughter was very young, saw it again more recently. She's a teenager now. And um, it just, it speaks to me. It says something new to me every time I see it. And of course, the movie's coming up. Oh, definitely. Yeah, uh, that is something we continue to monitor. That movie, movies, plural, (laughs) yes, which continues to catch me off guard. But I am sure that will be quite the spectacle. And speaking of long-running hits, the Phantom of the Opera, you know, the longest-running musical on Broadway, longest-running show period, played its final performance at the Majestic Theater this past Sunday, April sixteenth, after. 35 years reigning on Broadway. It's kind of crazy to see that finally come down. It's just always been there for me. And mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I'm sure it seems like there's a chance it'll be returning. I, we don't know for sure, but you know, for now it is closed on Broadway. Phantom of the Opera is no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a big fan of the show? Not a fan. I just, you know, respect it as this long running show. I mean, I like the show, of course, but, you know, the staple of Broadway, it is, you know, synonymous with Broadway to me. Oh, absolutely. Um, And you're younger than I am. I'm (laughs) probably you can't. I I would doubt that you in your adult life can remember a time when it wasn't playing. Um, Maybe (laughs) even in your life period. I mean, what was it, 1988 on Broadway? Yeah. There's never been a time in my life that Phantom has not been on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. And personally, it's not one of my favorite shows, I'll admit. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's for so many people, it's synonymous with Broadway. And it's part of this enormous streak that um, the most enduring of the musicals of, of, of some very enduring, very iconic musicals that Andrew Lloyd Webber brought to Broadway during the great British Mm-hmm. Uh, invasion of the 80s. <laughs> it definitely, uh, I mean, this is London, but you could say it's its the end of an era. 100%. Yeah. So now to wrap up, you know, want to shout out some of our latest stories on BroadwayDirect.com. We always are running stories with the latest season and now we're in the busiest part of the season. So constantly have new pieces to keep you all engaged with what's going on on Broadway. Um, right now on the website, we have a new piece with Sophia Ann Caruso and Millicent Simmons written by you, Elisa, for Grey House coming to Broadway shortly, which is going to be the first play of the new season. I know we're talking about this current season, but we're already moving on to the next season as well. It's crazy how many shows are opening like right after this season ends. Um, There's some big opening schedule right now, and this obviously is among them. And and, uh, Mm -hmm. the the girls, well, the young women, they are both in their 20s, are... are, um, 
they were fantastic and um, and just you know so accomplished already at such a tender age, and mm-hmm. uh, it was a very interesting conversation. You know, they spoke about how much how great it is to work with people like Joe Mantello, who Sophia has worked with in the past, uh, and and Millicent is making her Broadway debut here, and right. they also and and working with other accomplished actors in the cast like. Uh, Laurie Metcalf, um, primarily, uh, or or you know others as well, and also mm-hmm. uh, Sophia mentioned the the kids, you know, because they were both child actors and they know the demands that come with that, and they were saying how much respect they have for the actors who are younger than them. Definitely, and it's a show that I will be having my eye closely to. I mean, a horror oh, play yeah. like. It will be an interesting one for sure. And speaking of so many openings occurring, Once Upon a One More Time is beginning performances next month. And we also have two new pieces on our site last week with the stars of the show, as well as the director choreographer. Great insight into the new musical, which features the greatest hits of Britney Spears. This has had a long road to Broadway, and I'm so excited to finally see it play out at the Marquee Theater. Besides all that, stay tuned on social media at Broadway Direct as we continue our coverage of this exciting Broadway season and the seasons to come. But now we also have a conversation with Robin Herter. That's right. A star of um, the Neil Diamond musical, Beautiful Noise, uh, who I spoke with recently, who was just just so much fun to speak with. Mm-hmm. Uh, a real triple threat. You know, there are so many triple threats now. It used to be when they said, you know, triple threat, it used to mean, oh, well, someone who can sing and dance okay or dance and, and carry a tune. But you have people now like Robin who can just sing and act and dance like scary good. And, uh, she was a delight to speak with and, you know, (laughs) spoke about, uh, the research that went into this part and her own experience with Neil Diamond's music and, and how her sort of personal experience, um, some stuff that was a little dark in her life informed the show and made the show really cathartic and, um, and rewarding for her. And on that note, let's get into our conversation with Robin Herter, who is currently, again, playing Marsha Murphy, the real-life second wife of renowned singer-songwriter Neil Diamond in A Beautiful Noise, the Neil Diamond musical. Robin's previous Broadway credits include the long-running hit revival of Chicago, in which she played Roxy Hart, a 2009 production of Grease, and the original productions of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, The Wedding Singer, Nice Work If You Can Get It, and Moulin Rouge. The last show earned her a Tony nomination, and as all those credits suggest, and as anyone who has seen Robin perform can tell you, she is a true musical theater triple threat. And the role of Marsha brings her singing, dancing, and acting skills to the fore. Robin, welcome to Stage Door Sessions. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. It was so kind. Well, it's true. (laughs) It's true. I have observed and admired. Um, So you've been performing in A Beautiful Noise, which we should say stars Will Swenson as Neil Mm -hmm. Diamond, uh, since late last year. Um, How did you become involved with the show initially? Um, it was kind of out of the blue, to be honest. I had just finished Moulin Rouge in February of 2022, thinking I was going to give myself a little bit of a break, be a mom, stay at home and just <laughs> be a normal person. Um, and then a couple months later, this audition popped up in my inbox and 
I looked at it and I was like, oh, I don't know that I never would have pictured myself in the Neil Diamond musical, <laughs> knowing <laughs> my track record. <laughs> and uh, but then I saw that it was um, out of town in Boston and I'm originally from Maine. That's where all my family still is. And I was like, oh, man, that's oh, just okay. it's just too cute not to not to try. And then I saw that it was for, you know, one of the, the leading roles. And uh, this is what I've been working towards is trying to break out of being just like seen as a dancer in New York, you know, on Broadway and just really getting the opportunity to show my chops. So I auditioned and it was fast and furious. I went in for Michael Mayer and the team. They said, will you come back tomorrow and read with Will? And um, that's when I got very nervous. <laughs> and I said, yep, okay. And uh, within an hour after that audition, I I got the offer. Neil Diamond signed off on it. That, that's the weirdest thing is that he watched my tape and he's like, yep. She can play my second wife. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize he was there for the whole casting process. Is yeah, that correct? That we had cameras in our faces because, you know, he was in Denver. So I wasn't going to be able to get the job unless he took a look at me on the tape. So right after I left the room, they sent it to Neil. With Literally within a couple hours, I found out I had the job. They're like, Neil signed off. It's yours. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I started rehearsals two weeks later. So it was last minute. It was crazy. Very quick, very quick. Very well, I'm, I'm going to ask you about Neil Diamond later, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, Marsha was married to him for about 25 years, mm -hmm. which happened to coincide with his commercial peak in the 70s and 80s. And she is the most prominent female character in the musical, really the most prominent character aside from Neil in mm -hmm. the musical. Um, tell us a bit about how you prepared for the role. Did you meet and consult with her? I believe she and Neil Diamond are on decent terms. Is that correct? You know, it's <laughs> I was very intimidated going into this project because I have never done anything like this before. I've never helped lead a show on Broadway eight times a week. Um, and I've never played a real human that's still alive when they, you know, divorced in 94. Um, it, it seemed amicable. Um, they have a lot of respect for each other still. I do not think that there's any sort of contact. He still has all the, you know, respect, support, ad adoration for her in the world. He owes a lot of his career, he says, to her. But she's a very private person. I've not met her. I've not heard from her. And even trying to find information online is very difficult. She just, after the divorce, she led a very, very private life still to this day. So I had the material in front of me, um, the script, and I just kind of did the best I could. Um, they had already done a, a workshop of it a few months earlier. So I kind of was, it wasn't like I was being put in, but they kind of had the structure of the show already. And I, I just did the best that I could. I read the line and I did the blocking. And then that's when in rehearsal, I start to bring myself into it. I have to bring a little bit of Robin into any role I create. And that's where things started happening with, you know, Cherry Cherry, you know, they're like, well, Robin, you dance. So you're, we're going to make you dance. And <laughs> Blue Jeans, when we started rehearsals for Boston, that was a completely different uh, oh, ball really? game. Oh, yeah. Because that's a big production it, number for you. Yeah, right? it, it, it was with, you know, the, the actress that plays Ellie Bree and Jesse who plays Jay. Um, it was like a trio. And then it just kind of morphed and into this thing where I'm, you know, wearing a 
a white t-shirt and blue jeans strutting across the stage with a bunch of people in rhinestones. I remember It's crazy. That. It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I had to do a lot of, um, I don't want to call it guesswork, but I really just had to look at the, look at the, the dialogue that I had, the material that I had in front of me and approach it as a very supporting, loving wife, a career woman, which is, you know, very parallel to my life. I mean, my husband, yes, he is a Broadway singer, dancer, actor, but he is also a singer songwriter at which I, you know, I am fully supportive of him in that way. And so a lot of myself as Robin, the wife, mother, all that, I'm, I'm definitely, um, giving a lot of that on stage. That's so interesting because it is such an admiring and, um, sympathetic mm-hmm. uh, uh, character and, and your performance certainly is true to all that. Um, did you get any feedback from Neil Diamond on on what you were doing? I was very nervous meeting him because he came to like the last week he came to um, a few of the rehearsals and I was it's it's incredible when you you know someone of that stature is in the room, the energy changes. And I was very nervous meeting him, but he was so supportive and he said I was wonderful and I have his blessing. And Katie, his wife, who is just, uh, just a doll. She's, she's so amazing. She said, she says the way you're representing her, I know that Marsha would be very happy. So that's all I can say. And you know what I mean? That's like, and, and especially like <laughs> opening night, I got to meet a lot of his kids and his grandkids. And, oh, wow. um, there, they would say like, you know, she would be very happy. Thank you so much yeah. for portraying her this way. So, wow. cause well, you can, can't do better than that. Yeah, I know. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, I think I did. I did something right, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something that occurred to me watching the show is how ubiquitous Neil Diamond's music was for such a long time and how enduring his hits have been. I became acquainted with his music myself through my dad, who was an enormous fan mm-hmm. and still is. To what extent were you familiar with his catalog beyond the obvious hits like Sweet Caroline and America? Uh, yeah. So I... Uh, the same thing. Uh, my mom is a massive Neil Diamond fan. Um, <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't know that I knew so many songs. Um, when I was like researching for the role, when I was about to audition for it, I started going down the Spotify, like, you know, this is Neil Diamond song list and, um, or playlist. And I started clicking on the songs. I was like, Oh, Oh, like Cracklin' Rosie. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that was Neil Diamond. I don't know who I was thinking of, but I've heard that song a thousand times. I just didn't realize it was Neil Diamond. Um, things that I didn't realize, like I did not know that he wrote I'm a Believer. I had no idea. I thought oh, that, yeah, the I big thought, monkeys I thought that was the monkeys. Did I think that he wrote Red Red Wine? I was like, no, it's UB40. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, of course it is. Hit. It is my my childhood. <laughs> I mean, we listened to that song all the time. So that was really mind-blowing. Um, the the coolest part was that. Uh, my first audition, they just had me sing, you don't bring me flowers. And for my callback, they gave me sheet music to forever in blue jeans. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, this, it sounds familiar. So I, I play it and I hear that. And I, and I kind of got chills all over my body. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I know this song from when I was a little girl. I used to, it was one of my favorite songs. Cause it had that beat underneath it. And I, was always dancing. And it reminds me of like summertime, my dad's outside with the radio washing the cars. And I remember loving that song so much in the eighties and how hilarious that I get to sing it on stage now. It's crazy. That is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, in my review, I, I wrote, I ended it by saying that, you know, the first thing I did when I walked out of the theater was turned on Spotify, <laughs> found the essential Neil Diamond and uh, actually Apple 
uh-huh, yep, uh, yeah, Apple Music, uh, uh, Apple Music, and turned on the Essential Neil Diamond, and yeah, those hits really stay with you. Absolutely. They do. And, and you know, what's really awesome and and it's, it's happening more and more now. Um, after I exit the stage door, I'm seeing a younger crowd, kids Mm -hmm. that are younger than, than me, the twenties, teenagers, little babes, you know, 10 year olds, and they love it. And they're like, I had no idea. My parents brought me and Mm -hmm. I had no idea what this musical, like who's Neil Diamond. I didn't know any of his music and they love it. And they're repeat offenders. <laughs> they're, they're, they keep coming back and seeing it because they love the music. And that's just a testament to what kind of artist and musician he is, that his music is timeless. And it's still, I don't know, it relates to today. That's, so that's right. Really, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really if you're great. a kid, you can't see a musical once now. You have to see it again and again and again. Yeah. But <laughs> again, I guess I'm like, yeah. well, we must be doing something right if we're grabbing the younger generation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's great. That's terrific. Um, Mr. Diamond has obviously been suffering with uh, Parkinson's disease Mm -hmm. in recent years and is retired from performing. But I believe he spoke extensively with the show's librettist, Anthony McCartney. Mm -hmm. Um, So it seems like he was quite involved in the show. So was his feedback, any feedback he had relayed to you through Michael Mayer or did anything like that come up in... um, Um, he, it's amazing. And now, you know, um, again, was it more, I'm sorry, was it more that he was involved with the shaping of the book and then he put it into Michael Mayer's hands? Basically. Yeah. Okay. I think Anthony and, and Neil sat down for a very long time and he just went in, um, and they formulated this script and then, you know, they did readings and workshops. They did that big workshop before Boston and they got his blessing. He definitely had his little inputs here and there, not so much with uh, the Marsha Murphy Neil story, but he was definitely involved along the the whole way. Um, very funny. One thing that sticks out that he said not to, there was a lot of uh, curse words in the beginning. There was a lot of F-bombs. And he said the only one that you can actually use is the Neil effing diamond because that was a thing. It was on the shirts and stuff. But he says no profanity like that in the show. He's like, I didn't use oh. it in my concerts. I don't want it to be that kind of show, which I think is just darling. Oh, isn't that? Yeah. And that adds so, to sort of like the family value of mm-hmm. the show, makes he's it open smart. to those kids. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it's because he's like, my kids are going to be, my grandkids are going to be watching this. And he didn't, he didn't really use it. So I thought that was interesting. But he, from the beginning, he, he really had our, had, we had his blessing. And he said that numerous times in rehearsals. He was very, very happy with how yeah. it turned out. So he really trusted Michael. He did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he did. And he did you it. all as well. Yeah, it was it was pretty insane. Like that last rehearsal, he's in there and he's just like looking at Will and Will's, you know, he's like, what is going on? I'm <laughs> five feet from Neil Diamond playing Neil Diamond. It was a very outer body experience for him. But Neil is just across from him singing along with him. Mm-hmm. And, you, and all of us are just like in the rehearsal room staring at him being like, there's Neil Diamond singing along to all of his songs. It, it really was so surreal and so magical and just... So grateful to have that kind of opportunity in our careers. It's just, you don't get that every day. Yeah, yeah, it's unusual. Um, And A Beautiful Noise obviously addresses some personal upheaval, Mm -hmm. quite a bit of personal upheaval (laughs) in Neil Diamond's life. And in Marsha Murphy's, you've had some tragedy in your own life in recent years, which you have spoken about. You Mm -hmm. suffered a miscarriage soon after leaving Moulin Rouge. And I believe your father died shortly before this show opened. Um, To whatever extent you're comfortable addressing this, and I only ask because you have addressed it so eloquently already, has been 
being in this show, which is ultimately uplifting, I think, very uplifting, been therapeutic or cathartic for you? Yeah, um, I I really thank God every day for this show for so many reasons. Um, it's a beautiful group to work with. It's such a positive building to walk into every day. The energy is just right. I'm I'm super grateful for that, but especially um, like I didn't I didn't know that I needed this show after I had a miscarriage, and I'm like obviously, and I was very confused at that time. I was like, I don't know, do I want to have another baby? Do I want to keep performing? And then I was getting very very frustrated, and then all of a sudden this fell in my lap. This audition, I was like, ah, well, I guess the universe is telling me what I should be doing right now. And and thank God, um, it was it was the hardest thing to um to make the decision to just get through the week. Cause it was, you know, my dad passed on the Tuesday of our opening, which was on Sunday. And, um, and my dad was in severe advanced stages of Alzheimer's, uh, sorry, not Alzheimer's Parkinson's, um, and oh. dementia. And so, um, it was extremely difficult for the end of the show for me. Um, Mark Jacoby is one of the finest actors of our time who plays Neil now. Yeah, he sure and, is. um, you know, they don't, they don't make any mention of Parkinson's in, in the show, um, which I, which I think is, is great. I think because I don't think it's, it's needed. I think everybody knows. Um, but Mark has, he is such a brilliant actor and he has researched that he so ever so slightly, um, has just the slight mannerisms of someone who does have Parkinson's. I've never even talked to Mark about this, mm. but in Shiloh, he turns around and there's a certain thing with his eyes, the way he shuffles his feet, the way he holds a, a hand. It every, like even last week I had, a I choked out my line because it just hits me. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, it looks just like what my dad looked like. So it's, it's, it's hard because then I start missing him again and then grief hits, hits again. But at the same time, it's so healing in a way. And I, it's so hard to explain. But especially that week that we were opening, it was a beautiful distraction. I got to compartmentalize my thoughts and feelings and kind of take a break because it was so stressful just dealing with everything back home. And I wasn't there in Maine where all my f family was making the arrangements. And But getting to walk into that theater every day and just kind of put a lid on it and get to just do what I love to do and what he knows this is my, my greatest passion in the world. And this was his greatest passion was watching me perform. So I know that he wanted me there and that's why I didn't just, you know, fly home to Maine. He wanted me to open the show. I know he did. And that's why I stayed and I got through it. I mean, I got through it and I still can't believe I did it, but I opened the show and then I, I went home to be with my family in Maine and yeah. All it's 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 horrible and it's traumatic, but it's also and you're never ready to lose a parent, but it's also sadly the circle of life. It's what we all have to go through and this show is you you just don't realize that you have these gifts in front of you. You know, yes, it's great to be a leading role on Broadway and I get to do all those things, but that was there for so many reasons to help me heal from the miscarriage and also to help me have have this other space and this escape to help monitor and deal with grief and loss and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Thank God it. for beautiful noise, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a little choked up when you were talking about how your dad's greatest passion was watching you. Wow. How Hands beautiful. Down. Hands yeah. down. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, wow. I have to take a breath from that. Um, 
All right. You've appeared in original musicals and revivals, and mm -hmm. A Beautiful Noise is obviously an original show, yes. but maybe a bit of a hybrid in terms of the score because it mm -hmm. has all these songs that uh, people know and love, so many people know and love. Is there a difference in how you approach this material as a performer, especially when it comes to singing these tunes that so many people are familiar with? Is that ever in your mind? Yes. This, um, you know, this is quote unquote, let's say a jukebox musical. And I, I just came from one. I came from Moulin Rouge and the difference is Moulin Rouge. It's, it's a spectacle. It's the spectacular spectacular. And we're singing pop tunes and we're, we're here for your entertainment. Mm -hmm. I got to play around a little bit, you know, in, in backstage romance, you know, but it was still mostly telling the story with my body with, through dance. This is a whole, and, and I love it so much because I love working hard every single night. I want to be better than the night before always. So I'm always working on getting better and having a better performance. And I'm, I'm so happy that I get the opportunity to use the songs because they're so beautifully written. I get to use the songs to to tell my story or our story. And especially with blue jeans, um, it's a very repetitive song. <laughs> it keeps going yes. around and around and around. Um, and it's such a challenge and a goal for me every single night to tell the story. And that's what I've been saying to everybody. Everyone's like, what's your like, what's your theme for this Broadway season? I'm like, tell the story. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you get tired or when you think you're you're like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Just like go back and tell the story. Listen to the lyrics that you are saying and and use them to take the audience on this ride with you. Um, so I've never thought about singing the lyrics so clearly to let people in. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been an amazing challenge and something that I look forward to every single night. Also flowers, like the way Anthony's written the scene, um, beforehand, it, it's, it's like the scene happens and the song, the way the song's written, it's just the continuation of the dialogue. It's mm -hmm. literally like we're still in a quarrel and it's so gorgeous how it transitions. And then it's the end, you know, and you just walk away. It's really great. I'm really having a great time and I'm becoming a better actress through that, getting to really always focus and hone in on his lyrics and the music and uh, get to tell the story that way. Yeah, that is the main thing, mm -hmm. to tell the story. I've asked you about feedback from Neil Diamond, but I'd love to know what kind of responses you've gotten from audience members. You mentioned there are younger people mm -hmm. as well. And I imagine many people who are a little older have strong emotional attachments to mm -hmm. these songs, but probably a lot of them are learning aspects of Neil Diamond's story that they had not known before. And that's the biggest one. They, they, yeah. they, it's, it's, I've, I've said this so many times. I've never been happier at the end of a show in my life than this one because of, you know, the lights are up and we're all singing together and we see everybody's faces. And it usually is the majority is an older generation. Mm -hmm. And to see and feel this energy is one of the most extraordinary things I've experienced. And when you go out of the stage door, I always try to go out and, you know, say hi. And now, now thank, thankfully we can sign and take photos. That's the number one thing they say. They're, they're literally they're Everyone is so excited and they're screaming at me, you know, and they, they all think that I'm their daughter or their grand and they're just grabbing me. You know what I mean? They all do. It's hilarious. They're like, Oh my God, you were so but they said, and the biggest thing is they'd like, I didn't realize this was his life. They had no idea. 
they just see the sequins and, you know, you, you know, the crunchy granola sweet. You know, they 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 think of Neil Diamond with the hair and the and the smolder and the, the guitar and the, the big shows. But they really they're like had no idea about bang records, you know, how the mafia, the mafia <laughs> how sweet Caroline came to be um, and his therapy. You know, his yeah. it, that's the biggest thing that he was so, you know, even the man in black. I mean, you remember him as yeah. the singer songwriter, this folk Based mm-hmm. singer songwriter before he became this very glamorous superstar. Yeah, uh, putting on this big show. Uh, that's that's a really good point. Well, to sort of wrap up, you know, we sort of referenced this kind of thing in in the questions I've asked you. But what do you take away from this show overall? From the character, from the show, from the experience that you think you're going to bring with you to whatever project you take on next? Uh, well, this this has made me. Um, grow immensely as an actress. Um, I always look at my shows as another stepping stone to the next project. And I have been fighting too, because I'm primarily, like I've started primarily as a dancer. I have been in the chorus and I have worked my way up and I've been climbing, climbing, you know, like a, I'm a Capricorn. So I always say I'm like a little goat and climbing up the mountain. But you could always sing too, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. could. But you know, when you're a dancer and people see you, they're like, you're, you're a dancer. It's very yeah. different. You know, you, and you, it's very easy to get boxed in. Well, that's why I said a triple threat because you do have a really strong voice. So thank you. Know. Yeah. And I've always, I've always sang, it's just, it's getting the right opportunity at the right time to get on get on stage and I also have to do a shout out to Jim Carnahan who is, who is the casting director for the show he has been he cast me in my first Broadway show and he has always looked at me as an actress first um and I've always approached all my dancing as an I don't you're just you can either be a dancer or you could be an an actor but a dancer on Broadway you have to approach it as an actor first and I'm still doing that in this show so I'm very, I'm very proud of myself. I have grown so much as an actress, being able to work with Will Swenson. He's, he's a dream. Um, we all know that he's the nicest guy and he's made it very easy for me working with Michael Mayer, the director, Stephen Hoggett, the choreographer, they've all pushed me and, um, but also allowed this ridiculously safe space to just grow and, um, expand, you know, our performances, um, so I know I'm going to, whatever show I do next, I know I'm going to be better because of this show. This has been a beautiful training session for me. And I keep working. It's not like I plateau and I'm like, yep, this is my show. I always, always want to be better. The other thing I, you know, I don't think I'll ever have a show like this. The The most important thing for me and the reason why I do this I love performing because I love to make people feel things. I love to make people happy. I've always been a a nurturing maternal person ever since I was six years old. Like I would always take kids under my wing when I was a little girl. I love to give out the energy and let people receive it and throw it back at me. And that's why I do theater because it's like this, this pass the ball back and forth and this energy that keeps flowing uh, between myself and the audience. And this show makes people feel so many emotions. You, you will sob crying, but then you're on your feet clapping and singing and dancing and leaving that theater. So ecstatic and grateful that you just got to witness this show. Um, because it just makes you feel good. Yes, it is a very joyful show. That's why we have art to make us feel things and make us feel good. And, um, there is, there's nothing like seeing everybody's faces, especially the older generation that 
this show allows them, like I can see them all go back into their like prime, like their mid thirties and they're at a Neil Diamond concert and they just, they don't care. They're just going nuts. People who, you know, I've seen like a 94 year old get up out of, out of his seat to, cause he wants to stand like that to me, you cannot get any better than that. Like, look what we just did for, for him, for, for all of them. That's what I will always take away with me. Yeah, I still got to get my dad because he threw his back out right before preview. Oh, man, <laughs> so yeah. Got to get him. Get him there. Well, <laughs> we can't wait to see what you do next. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, taking Absolutely. time out of your schedule. And continue good luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me. And for all things Broadway and to find tickets to your next show, visit broadwaydirect.com. If you liked our show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And don't forget to share and rate Stage Door Sessions so fellow theater fans can find us too. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Niederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Erin Pervaznik-Wagner, and Paul Art-Smith, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again on Broadway. <laughs>